Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. On this week's episode, we have Gabby frankel Backow, the founder and CEO of FTK Consulting, also known as For the Kids Consulting. Gabby is an educational concierge to families, students, organizations, and schools. And a lot of what you're going to learn today is, first of all, how education and just the school system has changed since COVID, what Gabby does on a day-to-day basis as an educational consultant, and really the advice she has for our Tata community in terms of just how to match a child to school. And not that she is telling you what to do, but every child is different. So really understanding the world of parenting, how to work with different schools and teachers. She's an advocate for families and for schools, and that's what I'm excited for you all to listen to today. There are so many different schooling ideologies out there. There's traditional schools, there's Montessori schools, and there's Waldorf and Reggio Emilia. I, you know, as a future parent, if I, you know, wasn't in this space, I would just want to understand everything that's possible and available mm-hmm. before making that decision. I think it's very easy to say, I want to send my kid to the best school, but it might not be the best school for that kid. As a reminder, each week we do Tata's Tip of the Week, where I'm going to share with you a tip that you will all benefit from. This week's Tata's Tip of the Week is keeping it simple. And you can do that with toys. So I always walk into kids' rooms and they have the kitchen set up, locks and cars and balls. And, you know, especially if you're in New York City, there's limited space. Sometimes here too, in apartments or homes in Florida, there's also limited space. So you have a playroom with every toy possible sitting there. It's overwhelming to an adult like me, but also it can be very overwhelming to a child. And if you pull out one toy, this is going to be significantly less overwhelming to your child. They might struggle with too much visual stimuli, too much auditory stimuli, and this will absolutely help. In addition, you can really achieve many different goals with just one toy. That toy doesn't have to be a book. If your child does not like reading, it doesn't need to be a book. It could be a doll. What you can do is you could take out a puppet or a doll and the clothing could be the accessories. Or you can give the doll a bath, and that can help. And you can achieve so many goals, especially speech and language goals, with just this one. So you can work on core vocabulary, for example, words that are used more often. Open, close, high, buy, more, put, in, out. You can do all of that with one simple toy, a ball, a doll, a puppet, whatever you choose. You can also work on following directions. So put the doll in the bath. Or put the shirt on the doll. Put the ball in the drawer. Whatever you want to do. You can work on new sounds and imitating. So if your doll is crying, imitate the crying sound for your child. You can also model gestures. Your doll is waving hello. The puppet saying hello. I'm bouncing a ball. For example, you can then work on action words. Jumping, bouncing, eating, bathing. And you can also pair it with other toys that are similar. So you don't have to pair the ball with the doll, with the puppet, with the blocks, but you can pair the doll with a little bathtub or the doll with a little bit of food. Take out two pieces of food or whether they're real or fake and just give them to the doll and you're feeding it. So you're putting the doll in other environments without adding too much stimuli, whether that's visual and auditory. So my uh, tip of the week is you don't need to pull out 10 toys to teach your child new words and actions. You can keep it simple with one. 
I am very excited to welcome Gabby Frankel back out, the founder and CEO of FTK Consulting, also known as For the Kids Consulting. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. And for those who don't know Gabby, she's a friend. She is a colleague. She is a mentor. She set me up with my boyfriend. I could keep going on and on. My nieces love you. My sister loves you. I love you. But for our listeners who don't know any more about you, other than you setting me up with my boyfriend, (laughs) uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led to your path in education, consulting. Kind of give us a little bit of a bio here. Sure. First of all, thank you again for having me on your podcast. This is my first podcast. And I'm really excited to dive into your questions and learn from each other. My background, actually, I went to college many moons ago, (laughs) University of Southern California, where I studied finance and Mandarin Chinese. Mandarin? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I did not know that, but tell us why you chose Mandarin, if you don't mind. Fun fact. I chose Mandarin to sort of differentiate myself in a sea of a lot of finance majors. Mm -hmm. I thought it would really stick out when I went to apply for sales and trading jobs. And did it? (laughs) It did, but I I hope my dad's not listening. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I did get accepted to a like a internship at Barclays that was supposed to like lead to my career in finance and I had this epiphany that I was going to teach. Okay. And I had no teaching credentials or certification or even I hadn't taken a course in teaching. All I had was a love for kids and a love for school. Thankfully, someone someone saw a spark in me at Success Academy Charter Schools and I was part of this fellowship program where we got a very quick training into becoming a classroom teacher and I was placed in a first grade classroom. I was off to the races. So you got a training in – you had one class, basically, and you were a teacher. It was basically a summer institute, they called it. Some people had done Teach for America Mm -hmm. or know about Teach for America. It was a condensed version of that. Wow. Specifically for this charter school. And I met some amazing people, people that I'm still super close with. Pretty quickly, I noticed the inequities in classrooms. The building I was in, there was a charter school and a public school, and the kids in the public school – They didn't have uniforms. They didn't have smart boards. They didn't have iPads. They didn't even have the books and resources they needed to be a successful student. So it was from that experience that I really wanted to make a more systemic impact Mm -hmm. on the education space. So I moved out of the classroom. I worked for an education policy nonprofit. I went back to get my master's at Columbia, studied nonprofit management. From there, I was working in school districts. So I worked in Boston Public Schools and New York City DOE, and I was chief of staffing. What does that mean? So I best describe a chief of staff as someone who's putting out a million fires, but is in the background. So I was supporting the head of all 1,835 schools and his deputy chancellors. I was focused on specific projects, mostly related to uh, the lowest performing schools in New York City. And how to improve them or just what's going on that they are? Some crisis management and then some initiatives to help improve the quality of schools. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit and things really changed overnight. Starting around, I guess it was around Valentine's Day, getting called to City Hall to start talking about what it would look like if we were to close schools. 
and the tremendous impact it would have not only on the students, but the entire city at large. So this was February 2020, before COVID, when it started, was, it was starting to happen. People were scared, but not sure. We were talking, yeah, we were talking about it. We were planning for all different scenarios. I was trying to figure out how to get Purell in like mass, mass quantities oh, wow. for schools, um, figuring out what food service would look like for kids who are used to getting their, their meals during the school day. And right, they're relying on that, that lunch cafeteria. Exactly. Wow. So you were really behind the scenes for the prep, basically the prep for New York City schools for COVID. Whatever response was needed. And that was obviously changing by the moment, which sort of leads me to present day. But at a certain point, being in New York during COVID was challenging Mm -hmm. personally and professionally. And I like you, made a move down south. (laughs) Miami, you know, was very welcoming. There was still a lot of New York influence because a lot of people moved. And, you know, I got to meet great people like yourself and your sister. And I I quickly realized there's like an entrepreneurial spirit down here. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love working in school districts, I thought maybe there's a way that I can serve more people in a different way Maybe that's consulting for nonprofits. Maybe that's working with ed tech companies. Maybe that's working with families directly. And I was, you know, very fortunate that through word of mouth, I was able to build a consulting business. Yeah. And I think it's somewhat underrated. I think word of mouth, especially I know for my business, that was everything. You know, I think I told my first podcast, I said my sister during COVID told a bunch of friends that she was doing a little pod to keep her daughter educated, but also safe. And talking with Tata blew up from there. To me, you are everything referral. I can talk to you, whether it's me giving you advice or you giving me advice. You are the person that everybody goes to for, I need a nanny. I need a teacher. I need a tutor. I need a divorce attorney, whatever it is. You're really the one who knows it all. How do you get all your information? You know, do you know that this person, Andy Schneider, is the fabulous speech pathologist that she is? Or is it, you know, you're meeting people and interviewing them? Like, what is your process? Thank you. (laughs) Very humbled uh, that you really like all of the, the resources I've shared with you. And I love sharing you and talking with Tata because I know that there is quality in what you do, and I feel very confident when I send your email out. That network of referrals, I think it's innate. I actually Mm -hmm. think it might be genetic. My oldest brother, we always say he's got a guy, (laughs) and I think he passed it down to me, and we both have a really strong love for people. Mm. We love to get to know people. So I could be in an Uber. I could be at a nail salon. I want to know, you know, what makes that person tick? And I think taking it a step further, how can I help them? Mm-hmm. My mission of my consulting company is twofold. One of the mission statements is to really empower teachers and to help them, afford them opportunities to move up in a profession that's honestly so stagnant and mm-hmm. underrated and undervalued. Back to that pod you were mm-hmm. talking about, which really blossomed your business. That was one of my first consulting gigs. During COVID, people didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Homeschooling became a huge challenge. Personally, I was like, oh, finally, the teaching profession is getting a spotlight and yeah. teachers are getting the praise they deserve. Parents are, you know, pulling their hair out. And I partnered with a very dear friend who runs an amazing admissions consulting company called Admit New York. 
And we set out to basically set up these micro schools. And Sloan's pod <laughs> was our guinea pig. Yeah. And, and it worked. I believe Sloan's still working with that teacher today. And yeah. that was yep. that was really what an amazing opportunity for that teacher. She met a family that she's now watched Sloan grow. She's mm-hmm. watched Sloan's baby sister grow. Yep. And of course, the newest addition. Uh, <laughs> she'll I'm watch sure her grow. <laughs> yeah, she'll uh, help, you know, foster her love of learning. Yep. Back to the referral piece. Mm-hmm. I always just love sharing people's mm-hmm. information and I will continue to do it. I yeah. didn't know I had so many divorce attorneys <laughs> in my phone. <laughs> I hope I don't need them. Um, not for you. No, 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 not for me. But no, I think you're referring to a um, yeah family which, I've worked with. Yes, helping yes. them manage the education piece of their custody battle, which I've talked to you at length about mm-hmm. because it was a really tumultuous, tumultuous and uncharted territory for me. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the downfalls of consulting and being a one man show. I don't have someone to sort of bounce ideas off of. And I think that's where you and I have really bonded because as we think through our businesses respectively, we both like to go to each other when we're thinking about new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, what you were saying, you know, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. You're talking a lot about teachers and kind of your little community of mom friends where you're giving them advice. But a big thing that I've watched you do and what you come to me with is I have this family in, you know, lower income neighborhood and they need this or, you know, you're really helping out not just your little scene, let's say, you know, it goes further than that, you know, helping a family that was going through a divorce and you're kind of in the middle guiding them in a lot of ways, but you're also giving them, you know, therapy in a way. You're giving them an emotional support. So it really goes further than just setting up, which is not a just, but setting up a teacher with a pod. You know, you really are going above and beyond for other people. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've always worked to serve those who are underserved. Mm -hmm. Consulting has actually stretched my horizons, and I've now been working with a new demographic that mostly is families with kids in the private school system. New territory for me, but... Because you're used to the public school system or? Because I'm used to public school system and quite honestly, it's just a different socioeconomic bracket. I think it's great because it's, you know, forced me to learn a lot more. It's forced me to make new contacts within Mm -hmm. private schools. At the end of the day, the values are the same. I just, you know, want all kids to have a high quality education that they're deserved to have. You had actually said something to me when we were just talking prior to the podcast Mm -hmm. about how... The two of us were kind of the girls at the table with a bunch of friends who were married, had kids, and they were always running their ideas by us or asking us for recommendations. You know, do you find that helps you? Like, do you find that just you're kind of getting to the core of what you do with your business because you've always been that person for other people? It's a really good question. I think because I've had this role in my family as Tia, Mm -hmm. you're obviously Tata. Tata and Tia. I have... Three beautiful nieces, two beautiful nephews. I've seen different parenting styles. Mm-hmm. I've seen five kids who are so unique and individual, especially when it comes to like academics and what you know really brings them joy. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is where initially people might have come to me at a dinner and been like, what do you think about this class? Or, right, this school, this teacher. This, yeah, I always <laughs> would preface it with you. I don't know. I don't have my own child yet. (laughs) But I do think, um, you know, we've had a really unique perspective in observing different families and their kids. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes me laugh when a lot of my friends and 
family friends come up to me and they're like, what would you do with your newborn at this? I'm like, well, I don't have kids yet. And, you know, it's hard to give an opinion because you feel a little bit like a phony because I don't have kids yet. I do have three beautiful nieces that I would love to say are mine, but they're not. And I think a lot of that is feeling, you know, like am I giving you proper advice because I don't have kids. But I also think, A, advice is individualized, but really it's just doing what you feel comfortable doing. So with my field, I'll say, I don't know if this is what I would do, but here are the different options of what you can do. And I know people will say to you, like, should I send my kid to this school? And it's hard to give, I guess, an opinion when you haven't been through it yet. Right. Well, I'm actually thinking of it right now on the fly. And I do think people probably do come to us because it's, and I'm just being very open here, there's no like competition. It just feels like they can have an open, genuine conversation without maybe any potential shame or embarrassment. Right, judgment. Yeah, judgment. That's the right word, which I think is great. And I think that's why my husband will hear me on these calls going on and on, but sometimes parents just need an actual like forum to vent about what's going on in school. I was talking to a parent of an eighth grader in uh, Park Slope over the weekend and the parents really, all they wanted to do was just check in and make sure that their son was getting what he needed to be a successful writer and reader. They just literally wanted to go through his ELA and humanities curriculum. I was happy to talk about what he was reading. Right. And I was happy to say, you know, you're doing great. Right. Keep going. Make right. sure he's reading also independently. Back to what I said earlier, you are also a therapist to people, whether it's your friends, but also you do give good advice. So, you know, and I think taking your personal opinion out of it, if someone is applying to a school that has a wait list and now they don't want to tell you their backup because they're nervous that you're going to apply, that's not going on right now. So I think it is nice for moms and just our friends to come to us and say, like, these are my thoughts. Um, eventually, we will have lovely, beautiful children, some of us sooner than others. You know, I do think that there is an element there where that competition is out, which actually just brings me to something that I'm very curious to hear your opinion on. Mm -hmm. Social media. In terms of education, can it be good so you can find other resources and referral and networks? Or, you know, I have such a strong opinion on the competition out there right now and how I do believe that a lot of it is just fake. But what's your opinion? Do you think it's helping education or is it you know, hurting people in the comparisons and competition. Just to clarify, are you talking about parents using social media as like a resource to learn more and supplement for their kids? Or are you talking about like apps for kids to use? Social media as probably a referral source. Okay. Um, I'm a huge advocate for using apps and different things. I mean, I think keeping it simple is always nice, but I do think if your child wants to, you know, learn using his iPad, that's fine. I think what you've built through your social media platform is invaluable. Even we were just talking about the reach of your podcast. Mm -hmm. I love social media because I think it provides access to those who might not be able to enroll or afford a Talking Mm -hmm. with Tata class, but those tips might really change their child's trajectory (laughs) as a little kid Mm -hmm. whose speech is in development. You know, when I look at like ed tech tools, then I start getting into like a little bit of murky territory. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to an educator who mentioned that students are using a tutoring platform that has like an AI chat that students can write questions GPT. to. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I was like mortified. I'm like, yeah. is that okay? Obviously, a lot of professions in this country are being replaced by technology, Not but teachers, I yeah. definitely don't 
want to see um, teachers being replaced. Right. By what happened to going to the library and you had a card of the author and the title and you had to find it in the bookshelves? I, that doesn't exist anymore. And you might know this, but many schools have removed their libraries. Yep. Students are not learning the Dewey Decimal System. Yep. I'm not saying you need the Dewey Decimal System to be a good Samaritan, but times are changing for sure. Do you think that it's a positive change or is it a complicated answer? You know, what's your opinion? I think it can be. And I think there are a lot of amazing educators and innovators out there who actually use the inflection point of COVID to make some disruptive moves in this space. I said this earlier and I'll repeat it. I think COVID brought to light the importance of an educator and in many cases help teachers who are struggling with burnout and low pay and feeling dissatisfied in the workplace. Um, It gave them an opportunity to speak up and then hopefully in some cases get raises and get, Mm -hmm. you know, the support and mental health supports that they needed. You know, in terms of what school looks like, I still think if you look at a classroom from 50 years ago, they look pretty similar today. Mm -hmm. Cars don't look the same. Phones don't look the same. So why are kids still sitting in rows in these like restrictive desks? Desk and the chair attached. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I hate that. You know, that. kids need to be able to move and express themselves. Yeah. And there's neurodiverse students who literally being constrained like that will, yeah, it will hurt them in yeah. their academic careers. So where do you see your business going? How are you helping these people? First of all, I try to spend time in a school at least once a week. There's a school here in Liberty City that was started by a former Knicks basketball player who grew up down here. What's the name of the school? It's called Brent Wright Leadership Academy. Brent Wright. It's amazing. He started this school about 10 years ago. Okay. And with no formal education or um, administration background, the way these kids are, you know, shown a supportive and safe environment and still get to learn all the academic foundations is it's truly beautiful. So I try to go there and that grounds me in this work. If I'm not around kids, seeing them, what their struggles are, seeing their teachers, what their struggles are, I can't actually be impactful. So that's important. In terms of my business, I mean, I go where, <laughs> where I'm asked. I'm doing a lot of work with individual schools, ed tech companies, especially in the tutoring space. I've seen just because of the uh, achievement gaps that were really broadened during COVID, high mm-hmm. dosage tutoring is needed more than ever. Figuring out how to democratize that and make mm-hmm. that available to more students and families, either during the school day or after schools, is important to me. What are your takeaways from spending time in the Brent Wright Leadership Academy? A day in the life or even just, you know, what was your favorite thing that you really think people should start to implement or look for in a school? When I am there, I just want to, you know, lend a helping hand, especially to him. I love to be a sounding board because he is faced with different complex challenges on a daily basis. For me, you know, going into a classroom and getting down like on a child's like physical level and seeing what they're working on and how they're approaching that math problem Mm -hmm. or, you know, if they're playing with their pen, helping them refocus and um, providing a little (laughs) um, scaffolding support or differentiation to a teacher who might be the only adult in a classroom of, you know, 25 plus kids. That's what helps me really see um, 
how the school is doing. And yeah, it brings me a, a lot of joy, but also gives me a, a lot of insights into just the day-to-day life of a private school that is hoping to get every resource possible. So just to, on a personal note, I went to Pinecrest, which is a very tough private school in Fort Lauderdale. Um, they also have a Boca campus, and I think it was an amazing education. I learned how to, to communicate there. They're definitely the hardest education, but I do know that a lot of my friends really didn't belong there. They just went because it was the best school. What advice do you have for families in terms of just because it's the best school, you know, does it mean they need to go there? You know, do you have an opinion on whether it's public versus private or just like how to really look at your kid and say, this is probably where you belong? I'll start by saying that every child is different. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're getting to when you're talking about Pinecrest is that course it's so academically rigorous but it just might not be for the child who has you know a keen acumen for one specific subject or is really excelling in a certain discipline like dance or a sport where they need to you know focus their time and energy on that what i would recommend and i'm i'm stealing sort of verbiage from a friend and mentor whitney mm-hmm who founded ADMIT, but there's a home for every child, and that home is a school. And when I talk to parents, what I try to, I do a lot of listening, because I want to learn, oftentimes, if you ask me about where you're, where I would send XYZ to school, if I don't know that kid on a very personal level, it's yeah. going to be really challenging for me to give them any advice. Yeah. Also, you know, there are assessments, and there are different um, actual benchmarks that you would want to look at when, you know, making any type of recommendation. And I really try not to do this, but what I would say is there are so many different schooling ideologies out there. There's traditional schools, there's Montessori schools, and there's Waldorf and Reggio Emilia. I, you know, as a future parent, if I, you know, wasn't in this space, I would just want to understand everything that's possible and available mm-hmm. before making that decision. I think it's very easy to say I want to send my kid to the best school, but it might not be the best school for that kid. Yeah. And I know, Haley, our producer, you're relatively new to Florida. And I know you've asked us that too. You know, where do you send someone? You don't really know. So I love your answer of really research and put the time in. And I think all of our Tata moms could benefit from that, bringing it back to them. Um, You know, do your research and tour. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other things that go into it, but maybe meet some kids from each school. Do they seem like a good match? You know, there's a shoe for every foot, but I think, you know, does it fit? Only other piece of advice is when you do tour and when you are doing your research, a lot of times you get to meet with the administration. Mm -hmm. While the administration really is the glue of the school and keeps things running like a well-oiled machine, I really think the agents of change in a school are the teachers. Mm -hmm. So maybe getting to familiarize yourself with the teaching staff. What kind of adults are in the building? Are they happy? Do they look like they're tired and burnt out? Are they happy to be there? How many years have they been working there? And these are different Mm -hmm. factors, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to limit anyone, but I I do think they are important uh, data points. So I want your opinion on this. I started this business during COVID, right? So I always saw adults and children, private practice, but I started really doing these social groups during COVID because I saw that 
whether it was six months or two years, there were a lot of kids who were not being social. They were not looking at people who weren't wearing a mask, reading lips. They weren't looking people in the eye because they were surrounded by their parents. If they had any siblings, maybe grandparents, but usually just three people in their house for two months, six months, a year, a year and a half. So for me, I wanted to, as much as possible, be able to help people who were either socially or their language was suffering. You know, COVID had such a big impact further than the health repercussions, which were pretty major, but also I wasn't socializing, you know? I suffered from it. I remember my first time going to dinner, I had anxiety. And I remember my second niece, Summer, and she really grew up with a people with a bunch of people who had masks on. And then when she was finally able to see people who didn't have masks, it was like a whole new world for her. And she was really nervous to be um, at first around a few people, and then going to school was a big change. So for me, I saw a huge impact of how really it just we all suffered, but specifically just education and a lot of people now who are still scared and still have yet to go on an airplane or send their child to school, and they don't want to. And children are suffering, and it's hard to judge people because that is their opinion and their choice, but the children are suffering and education is suffering. So what is your opinion on that? You know, how can you come in now and try to either guide schools so it seems like you're going in the direction of schools mm -hmm. um, with your career? Like, how can you help them? COVID, like you said, impacted everyone. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm seeing besides these um, academic gaps that we're now dealing with, especially a very low literacy rate, we're graduating less STEM professionals than any other country, or at least any other first world country. Wow. And then what you probably read about most often in, you know, newspapers or on Twitter is about this epidemic of mental health issues in the adolescent population. And that to me is, I mean, besides it being awful and triggering, that to me is something we as a community and society need to address. This is our next generation. This is our workforce. And um, I was thinking a lot about going onto this podcast and like what message would I want to send to to your listeners and some of our peers. And there's a lot going on outside of our own ecosystems that are going to impact our city, yep. our state, our country. We all, you know, have a have a role to play in that. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. I think sometimes living in South Florida, Miami specifically, and we live in a little bit of a bubble. I lived in the same bubble when I was in New York City. But mm -hmm. when someone once asked me, why did you start this? At first, my answer was very simple, to help my niece, you know, my nieces. It was just education. I love what I do. But now, especially what you said with Instagram and all those different forms of social media. Now it's like, well, what can I do to reach the people who maybe can't afford? Or what can I do outside of Florida, South Florida? You know, what can I do to kind of help other people? And I've thought about apps and I've thought about, you know, doing conferences and like you said, kind of going into schools because being there is really one of the few ways that you can actually help. But what do you think? You know, if you had to and this is not an easy answer, but if you had to go out there and say like this is how we can change things, is it observing what's going on in the education? Is it help improving teachers that then help students? What do you mm -hmm. think? My, and maybe it's like the chief of staff in me, I actually am like as a communicator, I tend to observe more than speak. That's why this is a hard exercise for me, yeah. but I prefer to be in execution mode. Yes, while we all have to listen and really observe what's going on in the educational landscape, to me, doing what I can to make sure there are qualified, devoted teachers in classrooms is probably the most important thing I could be doing right now. There's a huge 
talent shortage, the quiet resignation. Mm -hmm. There's all these HR things going on in this country because people want more work-life balance and people are burnt out. And I totally respect that. But now it's time we have to like get really creative about how how can we make teachers feel supported so they stay in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. I talk to probably at least 10 transitioning teachers a week. Transitioning out? People who are, yes, trying to leave the classroom. My role in talking to them is really to listen mm -hmm. and hear what they have to say. And then as subtly and respectfully as possible, try to keep them at least in the education realm and space. Right. There's a lot of different ways teachers can still, you know, impact young minds without mm -hmm. being in the classroom. But of course, as much as possible, I'd like them to stay yeah. in the classroom. I yeah. actually um, read an article recently. During COVID, a lot of teachers realized mm -hmm. they can make more money doing a pod mm -hmm. or homeschooling, tutoring, and a lot of them left and now probably will never go back. Burnout not being appreciated, underpaid, all of that. I do think that that's not going anywhere. I think people, especially down here, think COVID happened, you know, three years, I guess three years ago at this point. It's old news, but I think the repercussion it really has on education is huge. I mean, I have speech friends who were just like, I don't want to go back to a nine to five job or nine to nine job because after school notes and everything. So that's what's scary to me. Not to throw the questions back at you, but I'm yeah. I'm actually quite curious what have you observed in a post-COVID world with your little baby mm -hmm. clients in terms of their willingness to engage with adults they don't know, mm -hmm. willingness to meet new peers? Mm -hmm. Because I know these groups are set up yeah. pretty organically, but the kids might not know each other. Yeah. I notice that there is a huge impact, a negative impact. I notice that um, and again, there are positives. I'll get into those. But children don't have eye contact or they are not looking at adults. And I mean, look, I don't expect a two-year-old to shake your hand, but like maybe a four-year-old. I noticed that a lot of kids I work with do actually somewhat well with adults and not well with their peers. And again, there's a benefit to being able to have a conversation with an adult, but you're two years old. And know? maybe they saw more adults during yep, COVID. Exactly. Everyone has their own opinion on this, but I do believe that those kids were socialized at a very young age. Not everyone's as lucky to see people at that time mm -hmm. or still. Um, I know a lot of people who say, oh, my daughter, you know, she's around adults all day. She'll be great. And she might be great with the teacher in school, but she's not great with her peers. And that is why I do these classes. Um some kids, they really can't separate from their parents, which is normal. There is that period of, you know, I'm attached to mom, I'm attached to dad. But I do believe that that's why I am doing this. Um, and that's why I say to people, if you could put your kid in a twos program, put them in. Or if you can put them in a mommy and me, I mean, those don't really exist anymore. It's mm -hmm. more classes. But stay to kid here is great. They have classes with the nanny, with the parents. From day one, Zen Hippo in Palm Beach also mm -hmm. does. And that's the best. It's nice for the parents, usually the moms, to make friends. But for kids, I mean, I'm seeing a huge impact. And unfortunately, it's a, impacting their expressive language. So expressive language is just the amount of words spoken, right? Having a conversation. And that's what I'm noticing. So I focus a lot on the social impact and just greeting people. But really, it's having an impact on children's language. They are not being exposed to different people, different ages, 
cultures, um, languages, like they are suffering, unfortunately. But thanks for throwing a question back at me. I love that. Um, Now to put it back on you. You know, how do you instill a love of learning in a world with so many distractions? For example, social media, iPads, computers, phones. I think six-year-olds now have phones or five-year-olds. I don't even know. Um, You know, how do you bring it back to, here's a book. Because I struggle with that, but I really push it to the parents. Mm -hmm. As you know, we both love to read. Yes. One of the many things we have in common. And when my brother, my middle older brother became a parent, he asked me what made me love reading at such a young age. And I didn't have a very good answer because in our household, my parents, you know, they exposed us to games and toys and sports and art, TVs, computers. I mean, you know, now kids are distracted by other devices, mm-hmm. but back then it was computers and televisions and, and the first d- DVDs. Apple, <laughs> Mac, computer, whatever it was, came out with the colored, like, oh, yeah. they were thick and, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And what I said to him was, <laughs> I don't know, I guess I'm a nerd at heart, but in all honesty, I always went for the book and Whenever I'm talking to parents or I'm with kids, it's my, you know, I feel like a duty to want kids to love to read. Mm -hmm. I think we're doing a huge disservice as adults when we don't subtly make that an available option. I mean, I prefer a hard copy book, but if if they have to do it on a tablet, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Actually... Do you, I should give my mom a little bit more credit. We had a mother-daughter book club starting, I believe it was in third grade. Actually, our podcast producer's cousin was in this book club, and <laughs> we <laughs> shout out to Haley. Shout out to Haley, and shout out to Blake. But yeah, we, to Blake too. The moms and the daughters would read the same book, and then we would host and do some sort of like discussion that was or activity related to the book. And I remember, like, we read Bridge to Terabithia and the Phantom Tollbooth and... Harry Potter? We didn't read Harry Potter. Maybe it was too long. No one (laughs) wanted to sit there and read it. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not sure why, but, like, what a lovely way to keep parents and kids connected and doing something that is engaging educational so maybe maybe i don't know maybe samantha maybe we should have a tata Tata and tia's book club club. i am in (laughs) well as much as i would love to go on and on with you maybe we have tata and tia part two in the next few weeks wow i could listen to you all day should we bring our nieces i actually think that would be great i'm dying to get sloan in here um (laughs) we can bring you know your nieces and nephews make it a party in here Haley might leave the room (laughs) your son can come too um but tell us, where can our listeners find you? Share with us. This this question, I've uh, it's going to haunt me. So I feel fortunate that my business has grown through word of mouth. The short answer is I don't have a website. Okay. My social media presence is my personal page. Okay. And but you can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Gabrielle Frankel, F-R-A-E-N-K-E-L, or FTK Consulting. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, thank you so much for coming on. So you heard it here first. You can reach out to Gabby Frankel on LinkedIn. And we are so happy you're here. I am thrilled about this. um, And I would love for you to come back on again. Thank you. I would love to be back. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I'm very excited for you all to hear. And don't forget to listen and download our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that be Apple, Spotify, or more.